0: Let me ask you, friends, do you ever feel like giving up on prayer? I had a friend come into my office this week, and he sat down, and he said, you know, Jason, I just I just feel like I've been having a period in my life where I just God just keeps piling on. It's like I'm praying, I'm praying, and I'm looking for resolution, I'm looking for answers, I'm looking for help, and it just seems like every day something new comes up, and and he just said, Jason, I'm, will, I'm, I'm ready to throw in the towel. I, just, I, I don't even know if it matters anymore. You ever feel like that? I felt like that. I think that's a pretty common reality for a lot of us as followers of Christ. You know, sometimes it seems like we, we cry out to God and he's just silent. And, it, and it's hard to, to walk by faith when you're wondering if, if God even hears our prayers. and Does he even care? You know, last week as we looked at Luke chapter 17, we talked about the already but not yet kingdom of God. The the fact that the Messiah has come, the King has come, and and we have the hope of salvation in Jesus Christ. But now Jesus Christ has left, He's up in heaven, He's left us the mission of going into the world, being His ambassadors, And, and yet as we walk by faith in this present era, waiting for the return of the Lord, Sometimes we experience trials and and circumstances and tribulations in our lives, and we cry out and long for God's help, and yet we wonder, Lord, where are you? Jesus said last week in Luke 17, verse 22, the time is coming when you will long to see one of the days of the Son of Man. Man, I've had many days where I've longed to see the return of Jesus. In fact, even just recently, my wife was saying, when's the rapture going to happen? I'm ready to go. You know, life is hard sometimes. And yet God calls us to walk by faith, to continue to press on in hope and in trust. And we're going to see that this morning in our passage in Luke 18. Jesus is going to share with us some traits of what it looks like to to be people who, who live by faith in this present kingdom, awaiting the return of the King. What should a disciple's prayer life in particular look like in this already but not yet kingdom of God? This is, a, this is an important question that is so, so important to our faith, so important to our walk with the Lord. And Jesus is going to share with us today some very helpful tools that I think we can apply to our own lives as we look at prayer and the role of prayer in our lives. And, and especially those times where we wonder if God is even hearing our prayers. Are they making a difference? And so this morning, what I want to focus on are are three traits of kingdom people prayer. As we live in this already, but not yet period where where we know Jesus has come, the Messiah has come, salvation's available to us. a, A walk with the Lord is available here and now. And yet we wait for his return and we long for his return. And in the middle of this, we live as kingdom people walking by faith, not by sight. And so the principles we're going to see, these traits of of kingdom people prayer, I really believe can be a a profound inspiration to us in our lives as we walk by faith. I want to read this morning from Luke chapter 18, and we're going to see two parables this morning. We're We're going to look at these individual. The first one we're going to start with is Luke 18 verses 1 through 8. And then we're going to come back and talk about the second parable, verses 9 through 14. But in these two parables, we're going to see three traits of kingdom people prayer. So if you would follow along with me as I read these for us. Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. He said, In a certain town there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared about men. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with the plea, grant me justice against my adversary. For some time he refused, but finally he said to himself, even though I don't fear God or care about men, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually wear me out with her coming. And then the Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge says. And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? This is a really interesting parable that we're going to look at here this morning. This parable of the the unjust judge and this persistent widow. I want to highlight something right away from the start here in verse 1. Luke says that Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. Now, that first line is very interesting because if we were to translate that literally word for word from the Greek, what that line really says literally is this, always keep on praying and don't give up on prayer. This is what Jesus is trying to convey to us this morning, that we as his followers, as kingdom people, as we approach prayer, we should always keep on praying and don't give up on prayer. Even when it's hard, even when it feels like we're not getting the answers we're looking for, even when it seems as if God is silent, Jesus wants us to know, always keep on praying and don't give up on prayer. And to illustrate this point, Jesus then tells this very interesting parable. He tells this story about this persistent widow and this unjust judge. And and, and the story goes that there's this woman who was widowed. and, And to be a widow in the first century, to be a widow in the ancient world, was to be in a very desperate state, a desperate situation. You see, in a patriarchal society that was run by men and men really were the dominant influence, to be left without a husband really left this lady to be helpless. And the way Jesus portrays her in this story, it appears that she probably didn't have any male sons or relatives to care for her either. She was all alone. And we don't know her plight, but there was some adversary in her life that was causing her trouble. Maybe, maybe somebody was coming foreclosing on a loan, maybe taking her home away from her. And so this widow was absolutely desperate. She had no other recourse than to go to the judge to throw herself at the hopes of the legal system and plead for mercy. But the problem was in this particular town, the judge neither cared about God nor about men. He was a wicked, unjust judge. And so here's this helpless widow with no other recourse but to go to this judge and this judge could care less and so he just sends her away. Leave me alone, I don't want to deal with this. But she has no other hope and so she comes back the next day and she pleads with him again and the judge says, woman, get away, you're bothering me. And day after day, this woman doesn't give up because she has no other hope and so she just keeps pleading and pleading and pleading, asking this judge for mercy And finally, the judge says to himself, even though I don't care, go back to the last slide, please. Even though I don't fear God or care about men, because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually wear me out with her coming. In the Greek, that last line literally means so that she won't give me a black eye. Right? I don't know if he was worried she was going to literally punch him out, but he was for sure worried that she was ruining his reputation. He didn't care about her. He cared about his reputation in the community. This crazy woman keeps following me around, pestering me. I'm going to start looking bad here. And so I don't care about this lady, but you know what? I'm fine. I'm going to settle the issue. I'm going to give you your justice. Get off my back. I want you to leave me alone so I don't get a black eye in the community. What an interesting story. Jesus says, listen to the unjust judge. What? Like, like, I mean, is Jesus telling us that this guy is the model? That, that, that we're like this persistent, helpless widow just pleading with God for mercy? Is, I mean, what is Jesus trying to tell us here? Now, friends, the key to understanding this parable is to recognize that this is a parable of contrast. It's a parable of contrast. Okay, Jesus isn't praising the unjust judge and he's not trying to teach us that we need to constantly pester God for him to hear our prayers. That's not the message of this parable. This is a parable of contrast. And so Jesus wants to teach us a powerful lesson by contrasting the truth about who God is and who we are with this unjust judge and this persistent widow. In fact, Jesus is saying through this parable of contrast that God is the exact opposite of this unjust judge. God is the exact opposite. God is our loving heavenly father, and he's anxious to hear our prayers. And and so Jesus' point is this, friends, if an unjust judge will eventually relent and give aid to a helpless widow in need, how much more? will our heavenly Father be quick to hear and respond to our prayers? That's the point Jesus is making here. And not only that, but but we are the exact opposite of the helpless widow. Okay, We are God's children whom he loves. And so we don't have to pester God to get his ear. We have direct access, access to God to our Heavenly Father, to Abba, to Daddy. We can go to him at any time because he loves us and he longs to hear our prayers. You know, it makes me think of my, my two kids, Caleb and Addie. You know, they're pastor's kids, and so, of course, they think they own the place, and they, you know, you got to extend a little grace to us when my kids are running around here, but, you know, they think this is their second home. And uh, But my kids, you know, when they come to visit me here at work, when my kids come to see Daddy... You know they don't have to call Tina and Rochelle in advance and make an appointment they they don't show up at the office and say hey can I see my father no when Caleb and Addie want to come and see dad they just come walking right into my office they have access anytime they want because I'm their daddy and they know I love them they know I care about them they know they can come to me that the door is always open and I'll tell you something friends You know why I think a lot of us have a hard time getting excited about prayer? I think the reason why we often struggle with prayer as Christians is because I think a lot of times we embrace a false picture of God. I I think this this temptation happens for all of us. We embrace a false picture of God. And so for for too many people, God is like the unjust judge. We, we buy into this, this lie, we buy into this false version of God that, that God is the unjust judge, and we do have to beg and plead and, and just continually pester him for him to hear us and to listen to our prayers. And we buy into this false image of God, and, and, and what's sad is that for so many people, they embrace that view of God, and that really ends up doing tremendous damage to them spiritually. It diminishes their enthusiasm to go to him and go to him in prayer. And and the good news for us, though, friends, is that this just isn't the truth of the matter. The truth of the matter that Jesus wants to see here, Jesus, Jesus wants us to see in this parable, is that we have a Father in heaven who is good, and he's loving, and he's gracious, and we have access to him. And since we have that direct access to our heavenly father, anytime we want, Jesus says to us, we should pray unfailingly. Even when it appears that there is no answer, Jesus tells us to always pray and don't give up on prayer because you have a heavenly father who hears you. So we're called to pray unfailingly. But secondly, the second trait of kingdom people prayer that Jesus shows us in this parable this morning is that we should pray trustingly. We should pray unfailingly and we should pray trustingly. Now, if we have a father in heaven who always hears our prayers, this raises an interesting question. How are we to understand Jesus' declaration in verse 8? Look at verse 8. Jesus tells us, I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. God is not like the unjust judge. He longs to hear our prayers. We don't have to pester him in prayer. We can go to him anytime we need. And Jesus says he will see that his people get justice and quickly. You know something, friends? It's one thing to believe that God hears our prayers, but what are we to do when it seems like God is silent in response? What happens when our cries for justice don't seem to get a quick reply? I mean, mean, is Jesus not being fully honest with us on this? What are we to make of this? Let me share a couple points that I think will help us on this matter the first thing I'd like you to remember is that God's timing is not our timing. Okay, God's timing is not our timing. Look at 2 Peter 3, verse 8. Peter says this. You have that 2 Peter 3, 8. But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years are like a day. See, friends, God looks at history from a very different vantage point. And what we see is a very limited, finite vantage point. We see only the immediate in our present circumstances, but God looks at our lives from his eternal standpoint, from his eternal perspective. I've shared this story here before, but I I, I think for many of us, we're like that little boy who heard that the circus was coming to town. And the circus was going to come and put on a parade through his town. And he was all excited because he hadn't seen the circus before. And, and he was most excited because he heard the circus had lions. And he really wanted to see the lions. And so on the day of the circus, this little boy, he, he went running through town, trying to find a place to stand to see the parade. But when he got to Main Street, the, the street was just packed with people five feet deep. There was nowhere to stand. He couldn't get a view of the parade. And the boy was running around desperately looking for a place to watch the parade. And, and, and finally, he found this vacant lot that was right up against the edge of the road. And there was a, a picket fence there blocking the view. But the little boy, he snuck into the vacant lot and he found a little knothole in the fence through which he could look and watch the parade as it passed by. And so the little boy, he looked through this knothole and, and he watched as one by one, the different members of the circus came by. He saw the jugglers come by. And he saw the clowns come by. He saw the acrobats come by. He saw the the elephants come by. And he was all excited watching the parade piece by piece. But after a while, the little boy became discouraged because he didn't see any lions. And after watching for the lions for so long, he finally gave up and went home discouraged because he didn't see the lions. But you know something, friends, if that little boy had just climbed the oak tree that was right behind him and climbed out on one of those branches, he would have seen over the whole street in front of him. And he would have seen the whole parade from beginning to end. And he would have seen that just down the road, the lions were coming. But you know, friends, so often we're like that little boy when it comes to our view of prayer, our, our trust in God's plans for our lives. So many times we look at our lives through a very finite, limited perspective, but God sees our lives through his eternal vantage point. And so we need to trust in him. We need to hope in him. The second thing I want you to understand on this point is, is don't forget that quickly doesn't mean immediately. You know that, right? Jesus says, God will see that they get justice and quickly. Quickly doesn't mean immediately. Look it up for yourself. I checked it in the dictionary. So often, though, when we come to the Lord in prayer, we expect him to answer our prayers right away. Jesus says, "Your heavenly Father longs to hear your prayers. So go to him in prayer and he will see that you get justice and quickly, but quickly doesn't mean immediately. God's answers to our prayers might not come immediately, but you can understand when the timing is right, according to God's sovereign plan, according to God's eternal vantage point, you better believe that God acts swiftly and without delay. Just like the apostle Paul tells us in Galatians 4, 4, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent his son. Friends, how long did people cry out for the Messiah to come? How long were God's people awaiting the Messiah's arrival? You know, the Old Testament spans about 4,000, 5,000 years of human history. And all of that time, all the way along, God's people were waiting for the Messiah, crying out for the Messiah, longing for his return. Did God not hear those prayers? Was God not acting Quickly enough for them? Quickly doesn't mean immediately. Paul tells us in Galatians 4.4, when the fullness of time had come, when God's sovereign plan had found the appropriate time, God sent his son and quickly. At just the right time. See friends, what you need to understand this morning is that God answers every prayer according to his good and perfect will. God answers every prayer according to his good and perfect will. Now, here's the deal. God doesn't always answer the prayers our prayers in the way we would like him to answer our prayers. But he does answer every prayer. Sometimes God says no. Now, none of us like to hear the no answer, do we, right? Like like we always think we know what's best for us and we know how God should answer our prayers, right? And so we don't like it when we hear the no. But sometimes God says no because he knows what's best for us. I remember when I was a senior in college at Bethel, I was trying to decide where to go that next year to continue my studies. I had felt called to go into Uh, ministry on a university campus working as a professor and and I thought I was going to go on to you know work on my PhD and become a philosophy professor or a theology professor and I really felt that that was the way I was going to make an impact for the kingdom and so I visited a bunch of schools and universities and seminaries and, and and one of the schools that I was really hopeful to get into was Harvard Divinity School you didn't know your pastor applied to Harvard did you I did, I didn't get in, but I applied. <laughs> but I went and I visited the campus and, and uh, was really excited. You know, I was thinking, man, how great would it be to have Harvard on my resume? I mean, that would be just awesome. And so I was all excited and I was praying, you know, God, would you open the doors? Would you provide a way for me to get in? And my dad, he actually had a friend who was working as a professor at Harvard Divinity School at the time. He was the only evangelical professor out of 50 plus professors working at Harvard. And this friend of my dad's was actually on the, on the admissions committee that selected all the incoming students for the next year. It was a committee of five people. And so I'm thinking, man, I got actually might have a decent chance here. My dad's buddy's actually on the admissions committee. Now, I didn't have great grades coming out of college. I got straight A's in philosophy, theology, and all my Bible classes. I did great in my majors, but I got like B's and everything else. And so I wasn't like the typical Harvard student, you know. But I thought maybe... With my dad's connections, maybe when they see that, hey, this guy does great in his area of study, his area of interest, maybe they'll give me a chance. And so I just prayed and I just asked God, would you open those doors? Well, about a month went by and I got a call from my dad's friend, that professor at Harvard. And he said, Jason, I'm sorry to tell you, you only got two out of the five votes from the admissions committee. And I was just like heartbroken, you know? I thought, God, I thought you wanted me to go there. I thought you were going to open this door and, you know, that that would be my answer to the prayers that I've been praying for so long. But what I discovered, friends, is that God had a better plan for my life. It was hard to see in the moment. But looking back, I recognized what God was up to. You know, this weekend I was thinking about that Famous Garth Brooks song. Sometimes I thank God for unanswered prayers. You know, friends, some of the best prayers that we ever pray are the unanswered prayers. And it's sometimes hard in the moment to understand what God is up to, but later on we begin to see God had a good and perfect plan. It's Like Jeremiah 29 11 says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope in a future. Do you believe that, friends? God has a perfect plan for our lives. We need to trust him. Sometimes God says yes to our prayers. And man, do we love the yes response, don't we? It's always great when God says yes. Fourteen years ago, my wife was on the verge of getting engaged to another man. Kim and I had had an interesting relationship uh, for about 10 years since college. And up to that point, we had been friends for a long time and we had dated off and on, but I was like the typical classic guy. I was afraid of commitment, you know, and and uh, Kim eventually was ready to give up on me. She had found another guy and he was getting real serious with her. and And I heard a rumor that they were getting close to getting engaged. Now, the problem was I was scheduled to go to Russia for a month with my dad and brother to teach at a seminary over in Russia. And this was, I'm finding this out like a week before I'm leaving for Russia. And I'm thinking, man, if I don't do something drastic here, this, this girl that I love is going to end up marrying another guy. So I asked my wife one night before youth group, I was working as a youth pastor at the time. I said, Kim, can we go out for coffee? And I just sat across from the table. I poured out my heart to Kim. I said, Kim, I'm telling you, I'm serious this time. I love you. Please give me another chance. I'm not going to screw around with you anymore. Like, this is it. I'm committed. I'm in. And she's like, I don't even know what to think. Like, how can I trust you? I mean, like, we've done this so many times. And I was like, will you please just think about it? And so I left for Russia, and I had no hope. I had no clue what was going to happen. Like, I'm like, man, this guy could propose to her any day, from what I've been hearing from my other friends. And, and I, I was praying. I mean, you better believe I was praying hard. Like, I, like, I, I was probably like the worst teacher that month of they, the students there had ever had because all that was on my mind was praying about my wife, Kim. And, you know, please let her give me another chance, God. And I called her one evening. It was 3 a.m. in the morning here, and Kim was on the other end of the line, and she was just crying. She said, you better not be messing with me. <laughs> she had broken her off her relationship with this other guy and agreed to give me another chance. And I tell you what, man, I was walking on clouds the rest of that trip over in Russia. It's always great when God says yes to our prayers, you know. So God sometimes says no, sometimes he says yes, and sometimes God just says wait. Sometimes God just says wait. Before coming here to Lakes Free, I served as a pastor over in New Brighton at Grace Point Church. I'd been there for about 10 years. I started out as a youth pastor and worked my way up to an associate pastor position. But my last two years at Grace Point Church, I I really felt like God was stirring my heart, moving in my heart to prepare me to do something different and and over the course of those two years, I had three different churches that approached me with opportunities to become their senior pastor. And my wife and I, we went and visited with our search committees. We went and visited these churches. And, and there were a couple opportunities that we were actually really excited about. And we were praying, you know, God, is, is this the right place? Is this your will for us? Is this where you want us to go? And, but one after another, those opportunities, the doors closed. And we were like, you know, God, what is it you're doing here? What's your plan? What's your purpose? Well, a couple of years went by, and the opportunity to become the associate pastor of adult ministries at Lakes Free Church presented itself to me. And now, here I am eight years later as the senior pastor of Lakes Free Church. And I can see in hindsight that all along, God had a better plan in store than what I thought in that Temporary moment. And so, friends, we need to trust the Lord. Proverbs 3 5 and 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him, and He will make your path straight. God has a perfect plan for your life, friends. Jesus says, Go to Him in prayer. Don't give up on prayer. Keep praying and pray unfailingly and pray trustingly, even when it's hard, even when it seems like God is silent, even when the answer is no, even when the answer is wait, we keep going to the Lord in prayer because our heavenly Father loves us and he has a perfect will and plan for our lives that we can trust. And this is what Jesus is getting at here at the end of verse 8. If you read verse 8, Jesus says, However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? Will he find faith on the earth? Jesus is saying here this morning, Look, you've got a heavenly Father who loves you. He longs to hear your prayers and he always responds. But will you trust him? Will you turn to him even when he seems silent? Will you keep praying and hoping in God regardless of what you see and understand in your present circumstances? When the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? Now, in my experience as a pastor, I've seen many people give up on faith because they've been disappointed in prayer. That's one of the most common reasons why people walk away from their faith. God doesn't care. He's not listening. I I cried out to him over and over again, and he didn't answer my prayers. And, And so, you know what? Forget him. And so many people lose their faith because they they don't seem to get the answer they want. The reality, however, is it's not God who has let them down. It's a shallow view of God's sovereignty that's let them down. I came across an interesting story this week, uh, Kirk Johnston, in his book, Why Christians Pray. He tells a story of a man named Roger Sims who had been serving in the military and he was discharged and he was on his way home heading back to Chicago. And part of his way home, he was hitchhiking and he had his thumb out on the side of the road trying to catch a ride home and this black sedan, a fancy black car pulled up and pulled over and a man dressed with a nice business suit was inside. He said, come on in. So Roger put his luggage in the back of the car and as they pulled off, he started talking to this man and found out he also lived in Chicago. His name was Mr. Hanover. And Roger started talking to Mr. Hanover. They were having a great conversation. And as they were getting closer to Chicago, Roger felt that God was impressing on his heart. Hey, you need to share the gospel with this guy. And Roger thought, well, man, what what would this guy think? I mean, look, this guy looks like he has it all together. I mean, you know, he would just, maybe he'd laugh at me. But as they got closer, about 20 minutes from Chicago, Roger just felt God was telling me I need to invite this guy to, Hear the gospel i need to invite him to embrace christ so roger said mr hanover can i share something with you and he went on to share the gospel with him and he said mr hanover would you like to pray and receive jesus as your savior today mr hanover quickly pulled the car over on the side of the road roger thought he was going to kick him out of the car but mr hanover started sobbing at his steering wheel he says i need jesus and he prayed and asked the Lord into his life that day. He dropped Roger off at his house and pulled away, and Roger didn't ever see him again. Five years went by, and Roger started his own family, started his own business, and one day he had to go on a business trip down to Chicago, and he found in his suit coat the, the business card that Mr. Hanover had given him. So he thought, I'm going to go stop in and, and say hi to Mr. Hanover. Mr. Hanover. So he pulled into Hanover Enterprises and he asked the receptionist, could I see Mr. Hanover? She said, no, I'm sorry. It's impossible for you to see Mr. Hanover, but you can talk to his wife. And the receptionist led him back into a fancy office and here was this bright, sharp woman and she greeted him and she said, you knew my husband? And he said, yeah, I I met him five years ago. He gave me a ride when I was coming home from the military. And she said, well, what did you guys talk about? And he started sharing some of the things that they were talking about. And, and she stopped him. She said, well, wait a minute. What, what was the date of this again? And he said, well, it was May 7th. And Mr. Han- Mrs. Hanover said, well, what exactly did you talk about? And Roger said, well, ma'am, I, I shared the gospel with him. And he pulled over on the side of the road and he prayed and he asked Jesus into his life. Mrs. Hanover broke down and started violently sobbing. Roger's thinking, Oh, no, what did I do? Mrs. Hanover said, Roger, you don't know this, but after my husband dropped you off, probably an hour later, he was killed in a car accident. And she said, Roger, I had prayed for years for my husband's salvation. And when he died, I thought God hadn't answered my prayers. And for the last five years, I've given up on my faith. I walked away from the Lord. See, friends, we don't always get to see the end of the story from our vantage point. But God sees it. And this is why we need to keep the faith. Jesus says, always keep on praying and don't give up on prayer. So in this first parable, Jesus teaches that kingdom people should pray unfailingly and we should pray trustingly. And now the third trait of kingdom people prayer is found in our second parable for today. And I'm just going to treat this briefly, starting in verse 9. To some who are confident in their own righteousness and look down on everybody else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee, the other a tax collector, The Pharisee stood up and prayed about himself. God, I thank you that I'm not like the other men, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a 10th of all I get. But the tax collector, he stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but he beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Friends, this third trait is actually the most important of all when it comes to having a right relationship with God and being people of the kingdom. You see, you simply can't approach God in any other way than in humility. Humility is the foundational trait of kingdom people. And that's really the the point Jesus wants us to take home in this parable. See, the Pharisee, he walks into the temple, and the Pharisee comes into the temple, and he's full of pride. He's fooling himself by by comparing himself to everybody else, trusting in his own good works, trusting in his own merit. And friends, pride and self-righteousness and comparison are such sinister traps. And and I think it's a temptation that all of us can fall into at times. We we compare ourselves to other people and and in doing that, you know, we sort of feel good about ourselves because, because, you know, man, I'm sure not as bad as Zach. I I mean, I might not be as good as Gus, but I'm sure not as bad as Zach. And so, you know, I'm doing pretty good here. But friends, what are we doing when we compare ourselves to other people like that? We're comparing ourselves to one rotten sinner versus another rotten sinner. And the problem is is all of us are sinners. Romans 3:23, "All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Comparing yourself to others isn't going to do you any good, because they're not the standard. God is the standard in His holiness, in His righteousness. But but we fall into this trap like, you know what? I'm doing pretty good. You know, I'm not as bad as that guy. I mean, heck, I might not be like as good as him, but I'm sure not as bad as that guy. And so God must think I'm doing pretty good. That's not the way God sees it. God sees it from the vantage point of his perfect holiness. And all of us are desperate. And in dire straits in light of God's perfect standards. And so we have this tax collector on the other hand, and he comes into the temple, and he doesn't even dare go to the front of the temple. He stands off at a distance, and he approaches God in humility. He recognizes his guilt, and he beats his breast, and he cries out for mercy. God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And Jesus says, I tell you, it is this man, not the other one, who went home justified before God. See, God responds to people when we turn to him in humility. And if you think it's your good works and your good deeds and your effort that's going to make you right in the eyes of God, friend, you are sorely mistaken. What will make you right in the eyes of God is falling on your face and begging for mercy and admitting your sin and your guilt. And I tell you what, God, your loving Heavenly Father, will welcome you with a warm embrace. And you will be justified in the eyes of God by grace through faith because you humbled yourself and acknowledged your need for a Savior. That's the point of this parable. Jesus says everyone who exalts himself will be humbled and he who humbles himself will be exalted. How do you stand before God today? What's the posture of your heart? Three weeks ago, a great hero of the faith, Billy Graham, passed away. You know, it was so impressive to me as I watched the memorials and testimonials and then the funeral service of Billy Graham. I think one of the traits that kept coming forward was what a man of humility he was. Here's this guy literally preached to billions of people probably, was, was hosted by dignitaries the world over. And yet the testimonies kept coming of his humility, his grace, his gentleness. Here was was a man who literally spent as much time with an isolated inmate on death row as he did with the thousands of prisoners in the large courtyards. Here was a man who his family and his friends and co-workers would say, if you saw him before his crusade, you'd find him in his office in the back room on his face, weeping and sobbing, confessing his own sin and beseeching the Lord to move in a powerful way to bring others to salvation. We see his humility even reflected in a simple tombstone. Billy Graham's tombstone is just a single rock on the ground that says, preacher of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Yeah, I'd say so. Jesus says, everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. He who humbles himself will be exalted. Friends, may we live with that kind of humble faith, trusting in no one else but in the grace of Jesus Christ. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for these powerful parables this morning. And I just pray, God, that they have opened our eyes up to a renewed vision of who you are as our loving Heavenly Father, who we can go to in prayer. And so I just pray, God, that all of us would walk away with a greater confidence to pray without failing, to pray with hope and trust. But most importantly, Lord, that we would approach you in humility and that we would come to you as our only hope for salvation. And Lord, if there's somebody here this morning who maybe is hearing this message for the first time, maybe they have been depending on their own good deeds, their own Good works, Lord, I pray that even right now they would recognize their desperate need for you as their Savior, and they might cry out to you and say, Jesus, have mercy on me, a sinner. And that they might know for the first time what it is to be justified, to be made right in the eyes of God by grace through faith. Thank you, Jesus, for what you've done. Thank you for changing my life. Thank you for changing the lives of so many in this room. And we pray, God, that we would continue to live boldly as kingdom people, shining brightly the hope of the gospel for all to see. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.